this place, Lord, and your kindness toward us. Uh, so many uh, days in our lives, Lord, we uh, look back and see that you've protected us and you've uh, shown great mercy and kindness toward us. And um, thank you for my brothers and sisters. And even though we, some of us may be going through hard trials right now and things uh, in our lives, Lord, you're, you're with us and you uh, protect us, like uh, Pastor Rick said, like a father. And uh, you look after us, and you know, we're grateful to you for that, your, your patience toward us, and uh, just providing uh, brothers and sisters around us that truly care for us. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm unworthy of their friendship sometimes, Lord, and I pray that you'd help me to be a better brother to them and help us all to be better followers of you and um, bring more glory to your name in this valley and uh, help others come to know you through this place. Lord, not for our own glory, but for your glory. And uh, I am grateful for my brother, Pastor Rick. I pray that you would be with him as he has this uh, sinus thing going on. Um, even though he says he's not sick, just help him, give him the strength to preach your word today. Uh, empower him with your Holy Spirit to deliver a message and bring conviction on us where we need to change and grow. And um, we just thank you, Lord, for him. Pray that you be with them and uh, protect his family and help them feel better, um, Jessica and the kids, and just thankful for uh, them. And we love you, Lord, and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would please turn with me to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, and I'll be reading verses 36 to 38, the last three verses in the chapter. John chapter 13, John chapter 13, and we'll read verses 36 through Simon Peter said, hear the word of God. John 13, 36 through 38. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. Amen. Now so far in this chapter, Jesus has, he has washed the disciples' feet. He has identified his betrayer and he has given the disciples a new commandment. And now, this last section, these last three verses address Peter's denial. We can actually break it up this way. It's a question about Jesus' destination and then Peter's denial. So, destination and denial. And it's, um, really this is an answer, the destination of Jesus, of course, is it, it's an answer, question and answer. We have a dialogue here between Jesus and, uh, and Peter. 
listen to what Peter asked. Peter says, Simon, uh, excuse me, Lord, where are you going? It was still unclear in the mind of the disciples that Jesus was going to die and be crucified. I mean, excuse me, that he was going to be captured, he was going to be crucified, and that he was going to die. They, they did not have a clear understanding of these things. So, when Jesus says this to him, Peter is not certain what Jesus is talking about. In, in the Synoptic Gospels, Peter actually says to him, Lord, I am ready to die for you, or go to prison, or die for you. Because that's what he's thinking. Maybe he's going to be imprisoned, and I can't go to the prison. I'm not going to be charged the way that he is. But, um, uh, Peter is really puzzled by Jesus' departure. And, of course he would be. Throughout Jesus' ministry, one of the things that he repeatedly tells his disciples is, follow me. Look at Matthew. We'll, we'll, we'll look at this in Matthew. He does it in, in the Gospel of John, I think three times. But, but in Matthew... He does it also. He does it in Mark. He does it in Luke. You hear this on the, uh, on the lips of, from the lips of Jesus multiple times. So, Matthew 4, 19. Matthew 4, 19. He's addressing Simon and Andrew, his brother. And he says to them, follow me. And then, in 8.22, he says to his disciples, follow me. In 9.9, follow me. In 16.24, follow me. In 19.21, follow me. And now he says to them, you cannot follow me. You can't come with me anymore. And this, <clears throat> excuse me, I think what it does is it raises a longing <clears throat> in the heart of Peter. He longs to be with his Lord. He has a desire to follow him. And all true believers, at some point in their life, have said, Lord, take me home. <laughs> it would be better if I were with you where you are than being here. But you see, God knows, he understands his way with us, you know. We, we don't. And Peter here, these things are, are very unclear to him. But then Jesus adds this. You shall follow me afterwards. Now what does Jesus have in mind here? Of course, he's talking about after his departure, or after his death, resurrection, and ascension. He's saying, you're going you're gonna to follow me where I'm going. And of course, Peter does deny him. But Peter follows in the footsteps of his Lord. With the same confidence and with the same boldness that Jesus had. Look at this displayed in the book of Acts. We'll, we'll take a look at a couple of places. Look at Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And this, Peter is addressing the Sanhedrin. They, 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 they know that these men are uh, uneducated fishermen. But Peter stands before the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4, beginning at verse 8, and look at his boldness. Then Peter, Acts chapter 4, verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to him, Rulers of the people of Israel, if, if we this day 
judge for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be made known to you, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone, speaking of Jesus, which, which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, in the Gospels, you, never, you don't hear the disciples preach. You hear Jesus. But what is, what is Peter doing here? Peter is following his master. He has the same boldness and the same confidence that Jesus had. And he calls those from the Sanhedrin to repent and put their faith in Christ. Now, look at verse 18. Same chapter. So they called them. The, the, the Sanhedrin is going to forbid them from preaching Christ's name. So they called them, the, the uh, disciples, and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more, excuse, oh, I'm sorry, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. You see, he is following in the footsteps of his master. He's going to follow him in death. But he also is following him in practice as a disciple. Look at chapter 5, beginning at verse 28. So now the, the apostles, they're, um, they're, um, they're being tried now. They're, they're on trial. And the leaders among the people say to them, the high priest says, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. You see, one of the, one of the most important parts of the preaching of the apostles was to say to the Jews, and particularly the Jewish leaders, you crucified him. You crucified the Lord of glory. His blood is on your hands. And Jesus, when he was preaching, he did that all the time. He reminded them that, hey, <laughs> prophets have to die in Jerusalem. And you're the sons of those who killed the prophets and stoned the prophets. Constantly reminding them. But you see how Peter is following the pattern. He's walking in the footsteps of his master. Verse 29, But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey Him. You see that same confidence and boldness. 
And then even at the end of his life, that conversation that he has with Jesus after his betrayal, excuse me, after his denial, Judas is the betrayer, after his denial, it's in the back of his mind. Look at Second Peter. This is the last document, inspired document that Peter wrote. Second Peter. We're going to chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 12 through 15. I said First Peter, it's Second Peter, sorry. Second Peter. Second Peter 12. So in verses 5 through 11, he talks about the fruit that is produced in the life of a believer. And then he says, for this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right. As long as I am in this tent to stir up by to stir you up by reminder. And this tent he's talking about his physical body. So his his death is in he has his death in mind. Watch. Knowing that shortly I must put off this tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease, after my departure, or after my exodus. Which Jesus said, he described his death that way in, in the Gospel of Luke. He says, I have an exodus to accomplish in Jerusalem. Most translated, decease or departure. But he was, he was uh, what is the exodus? The deliverance of the people of God from bondage. And that is what the resurrection is. So that's what Peter has in mind, and that's what Christ has in mind, and that's what Peter has in mind. This understanding that their death is not a doorway to, to the end of life, but their death is a doorway, an entrance into eternal life. And Jesus, in essence, is telling him, you're going to follow me. Not now. He has to preach the gospel in Jerusalem. Peter has to establish churches. He, he is, you know, of course Paul is the, the apostle to the Gentiles, but the first apostle to preach the gospel to the Gentiles is Peter. One author writes this about Peter's death. The tradition is that he died a martyr at Rome about 67 AD. When about 75 years old, his lord and master had predicted a violent death for him in John chapter 21, verses 18 and 19, which it is thought came to pass by crucifixion under Nero. It is said that at his own desire, he was crucified head down, feeling himself unworthy to resemble his master in his death. So the this is, uh, of course, this is in Scripture. This is tradition. But the tradition says that he was crucified upside down. Peter followed him. I mean, Peter followed him all the way to death, describing his death in the same language that Jesus does, and even dying like his master died. 
And the question that we have to ask ourselves, will we follow our Lord this way? You know, the the vast majority of Christians in America will not die for their faith. Like, what I mean is, they're not going to come and kill us, okay? The worst thing that's going to happen to us is you probably won't have a Facebook account. (laughs) You know? (laughs) You won't be able to to interact on the internet or, or whatever. But are you willing to follow him? through all of the difficulties in your life. Because this is what Peter's facing. Peter is going to face so much turmoil and difficulty when he is confronted that he will deny his Lord. And Jesus prepares him for that. Jesus tells him very clearly. Look at verse 38. John, excuse me, John uh, 13 Uh, excuse me, look, verse 37 first. Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And he was willing to. Peter is being sincere. There isn't a lack of sincerity in what Peter was saying. And, and many Christians will think this way. No matter what happens, I won't deny the Lord. You know? And then you're given an opportunity to witness to some 80-year-old woman in Walmart and you're a coward about it. And your hand shakes when you give her a gospel. Right? But he was sincere. Well, why do I know he was sincere? Because he's cut some guy's ear off in John chapter 18 when they came to get Jesus. That's sincere, right? He, he was fervent for his Lord. He loved him. He drew his sword. And, and it's in, um, in one of the Gospels, he says, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. He was being sincere. Right? Peter, Peter, right, he's uh, painted by many as sort of a loudmouth disciple, but a lot of what Peter says, he is, he's sincere about those things. Imperfect. Like many Christians. If you are born again, there is a sincerity to, in your desire to follow the Lord. But you have to remember that that sincerity is mixed and mingled with tons of imperfection. And that's one of the things that we learn from this passage. That even in light of those things, Jesus does not reject. He doesn't cast Peter out the way that he did Judas. He knows Peter's going to die. I and mean, he's telling him. But he doesn't cast Peter out. He knew Peter would deny him. And he still holds out that promise in verse 37 where he says to him, you're not going to be able to come now, but later you will. In light of his denial. And of course, there in verse 38, the word deny, we all know what it means, is it's to say that one does not know about or is in any way related to a person. That's what he's saying. I don't know him. And we'll see the language later in the Gospel of John. If we are to persevere, we must know the promises of God. You know why? Because there will come times in your life when you will deny the Lord. Or maybe you have already. And what will hold you, what will keep you, is not your own strength. You see, Peter's sincerity will not get him to heaven. Only Christ's promises. 
Christ himself is the only one who can get us to heaven. You could be as fervent and as brave and as bold as you want. That's not going to get you to heaven. And it's a good characteristic to have. I would love to have 50 Peters in this church. I mean, absolutely would love it. Yeah, even two, right? Just give us two. About 50 is a big number. Yeah, that's right. Give us two Peters. <laughs> if, we, if we had two Peters, yeah, 50 would be tough to have 50 Peters. <laughs> we would die. <laughs> we would definitely die. But... But, but right, like, um, it's it's um it, it, there isn't a, uh, when you find Christians like that if you've met any there is like this um, you love them you know but that will not get you into heaven you know? no no amount of sincerity will get you into heaven no amount of zeal will get you into heaven only Christ Christ and His promises when we fail we must not despair. This is one of the things that Jesus is teaching Peter here. He's straight telling Peter. And, and God does in his word all the time. He tells us straight. That's why you have those exhortations. And here, this is why the concept of sinless perfection in the Christian life is so contradicted by the Bible. Because there are so many places, particularly, if you, if you wanted to just get a, a quick snapshot of this, read the shorter epistles. You know, Start from Galatians and read through Philemon. And you see how Paul constantly brings this up. He has to remind the Christians to love the, uh, men to love their wives and wives to respect their husbands and, and children to obey their parents. And he has to constantly be reminding us of these things. right? To put on... To, to put off unrighteousness and to put on righteousness. Why? Because we're fallen. We're imperfect. We're unrighteous. But we must not despair. We must place our hope and our confidence in the promises of God. But not only in the promises, yes, they're objective, they're true, they're firm, and they're strong, but also we must place our confidence in the person of Christ, in Him. Listen to what he says to Peter in Luke 22. This is the same context. Luke gives us a little bit of information. Luke 22, 31 through 33. He says to Peter, He says, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. I should remind you of Job, because that's exactly what happened with Job. He was that Satan asked the Lord. Let me sift him like wheat. Let me take his family from him. His wealth, everything he has. And then when he takes that, what does he say? Well, okay, skin for skin, flesh for flesh. Let, let me harm his body also. Let me take those things from him. You'll see how he'll deny you. But God keeps Job. The same way he keeps Peter, and the same way he keeps all of us. Our confidence, again, is not in our zeal. Our confidence is not in our knowledge of the Bible, in our fervent prayers, in our ability to communicate the gospel. Our confidence should not be in any of those things. Those things will be apparent, in some degree, in all Christians. But they are not the sum and substance of what gets us to heaven. Christ is. And we cannot forget that. We cannot forget that. Particularly... We have to remember, and, and you know, this sermon is short, you know, only three verses, so this, I'm, I'm closing here. But what we have to remember is this, what the author to the book of Hebrews tells us. He says, in Hebrews 7.25, he, speaking of Christ, he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, 
since he always lives to make intercession for them. John Owen, in his commentary, he, John Owen, I think it's seven volumes on the book of Hebrews. Massive commentary. It, he, he says this, that when, when we think about Christ in heaven, this is, a, I'm summarizing him, when we think about Christ in heaven, we primarily think that he is there for his own benefit. And, and that's true. He was faithful to his Father on earth, and his Father crowned him with eternal life and righteousness. Yes, but he's in heaven for me for you. That's why he's there. He always lives eternally. He lives eternally for what end? To make intercession for us. He wasn't only praying for Peter on earth. We'll see um, in, uh, as, as uh, these following chapters unfold that Jesus prays for his disciples and then he prays for the disciples of his disciples while he was on earth. But even now in heaven as we're going through difficulties that we go through, even when we're going through good, through good times, the Lord is in heaven interceding for us. He prays for us. He cares for us. He has compassion on us. What we have to remember is, that is what keeps us. Our Savior is the one who keeps us. And our Savior is the one who will bring us to heaven. So yes, Peter denied the Lord. But he was in the Lord's hand the entire time. And God kept him. And God will keep us if we trust him. So brothers and sisters, in light of these things, let us go to God in prayer, and then let's sing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to spend time together this morning worshiping you. And Lord, let, let us not make light of Peter's denial. It, it was a great sin. But many of us, Lord, have sinned in the same or in similar ways. So we ask, Lord, for your forgiveness. And please help us to put our strength and our confidence and all of our hope in you and in your promises for us. May we be encouraged by the truth that you, even now, Lord Jesus, you were raised from the dead and seated at the right hand of power so that you could intercede for us. May that truth encourage us and strengthen us in all difficulties. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now please stand and sing the doctrine.